Story Two of The Kitchen Cat and Other Stories by Amy Walton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sarah's Sunday Out. Who saw Sarah last? It was Hester who had seen her last when she had said good-bye to a friend at the hall door. That was at eleven o'clock in the morning. Now it was one o'clock in the afternoon, and there was no Sarah to be found anywhere. Not in the nursery, not in any of the bedrooms, not upstairs, not downstairs. Every hole and corner and crevice much too small to hide Sarah was thoroughly searched. Her name was called in the fondest tones by every member of the family, from father and mother down to little Diana, and by all the servants. But there was no answer. There could be no doubt about it. Sarah was lost. Little Diana was heartbroken. It was dreadful to think of Sarah out alone in the noisy London streets, where she knew no one and no one would know her, where she would soon get confused and lose her way, and where all the houses looked so much alike that she would never, never be able to find her way home again. Perhaps even some wicked person might steal Sarah, or she might be run over by a carriage or bitten by a dog, or oh, there were no end of misfortunes which might happen to her, for it made it all the more sad to remember that Sarah could not speak. Who was Sarah? Perhaps you may have been thinking that she was a little girl. Nothing of the kind. She was the dearest little dog in the world, with a yellow and white silky coat, and a very turned-up nose, and goggling affectionate dark eyes. She was a gay-tempered little creature, full of playful coaxing ways, and a great pet for everyone, but she was fondest of her mistress Diana. She went everywhere with her, knew her step from that of any of the other children, and would prick up her ears and listen for it a long way off. Her whole name was Sarah, Duchess of Marlborough, and she was a Blenheim Spaniel. As befitted her rank, Sarah led a life of luxury and had a great many possessions of her own. Smart collars and bells, a box full of different colored ribbons, a traveling trunk with her name upon it, a brush and comb, a warm coat for cold weather, and a comfortable basket to sleep in. Everything that heart could desire for comfort or adornment was hers. She had never been used to the least roughness or hardship, and certainly was too delicate to fight her own way in the world. And now Sarah was lost. All through that Sunday everyone was very much disturbed, and talked of nothing but how they could find her. If a visitor came in, the conversation was all about Sarah. But no one seemed to be very hopeful that she would be brought back. There were dog-stealers about, they said, and such a little dog would be easily picked up and hidden. Poor Diana listened to all this, 
and got more and more miserable as the day went on, for she began to feel quite sure that she should never see her dear little dog again. She moped about, got very pale, and would not eat her dinner, and would have been in utter despair if mother had not given her some comfort, for mother was the only person who thought there was a chance of Sarah's return, and this cheered Diana, because she had a feeling that mother knew everything. Nevertheless, when Monday morning came and there was no Sarah, Diana went downstairs in the lowest spirits. Immediately after breakfast, said her mother, I shall put on my bonnet and go out to look for Sarah. Will you promise to bring her back? asked poor little Diana earnestly. Even mother could not promise, but she would do her very best. And when she had started, Diana went up to the nursery somewhat comforted, to wait as patiently as she could for her return. Long, long before that could possibly happen, she stationed herself at the window, and fixed her eyes on the busy street below. Carts, carriages, cabs, people, how they went on and on without a pause, full of their own business or pleasure. So many ladies, but not mother. So many dogs, small and big, but not one quite like Sarah. Diana's mouth began to droop, more and more with disappointment, and she was very near crying. Even mother could not bring Sarah back. A watched kettle never boils, Miss Diana, said Nurse. You'd much better come away from the window and play, and then the time will pass quicker. But Diana would not move. Just as Nurse spoke, she caught sight of a bonnet in the distance, just like Mother's, but she had been so often deceived that she hardly dared to hope. It came nearer. It was opposite the house. Oh, joy! Mother's face! With an expression of triumphant satisfaction upon it, looked up to the nursery window. No wonder it was triumphant, for under her arm there appeared a yellow and white head with silky ears and large dark eyes. Sarah was found! It seemed almost too good to be true. You may imagine how Diana rejoiced over Sarah and petted her and how interested she and everyone else were to hear how the little dog had been traced to a coachman's house in a mews close by. Sarah, on her side, seemed very glad to be with her dear little mistress again, and after returning her caresses, curled herself up and went to sleep on the sofa, no doubt tired with her adventures. How Diana wished she could tell her all she had done and seen on that Sunday, when every one had been so unhappy about her. "'Where did you go, you darling?' she asked her over and over again. But Sarah never answered. She only wagged her fringy tail and licked her mistress's hand, and goggled at her with her full dark eyes. And yet Diana felt quite sure that she had many strange and interesting things to tell if only she could. 
One afternoon she was lying on the schoolroom sofa with Sarah by her side. It was a very hot day. The blinds were down and the windows wide open, so that the distant rumble of the carts and carriages came up from the street below. There was an organ playing, too, and as Diana listened dreamily to these noises and stroked Sarah's head with one hand, she began to wonder again about those wonderful adventures. "'Tell me where you went on Sunday,' she whispered once more. To her great surprise, she plainly heard, among all the other noises, the sound of a tiny voice close to her. She listened eagerly, and this is what it said. "'You must know, my dear mistress, that I have long had a great wish to see more of the world. The park is pleasant enough, but after all, if you are led on a string and not allowed to speak to other dogs, it soon becomes dull and tiresome. I wanted to go out alone into the busy street, to stay as long as I liked, to take whatever direction I fancied, and to join in the amusements of the other dogs. In short, I wanted more freedom, and although I never gave way to temper or became snappish, I grew more and more discontented with my safe and pleasant life. I was so closely watched, however, that I could never get an opportunity for the least little stroll alone, and I began to despair when, at last, on Sunday, the chance really came. I was alone in the hall. Hester opened the door. I slipped out unseen, and there I was, free. It was delightful to find myself alone on the doorstep and to hear the door shut behind me, not that I did not fully intend to go back, for I love my mistress and am not ungrateful for the kindness shown me, but it was so pleasant to think that for a short time I could do just as I liked. I soon found, however, that this was very far from the case. At first I trotted along the pavement in the best spirits, meeting very few dogs, and those of a very rough kind, so that I did not care to speak to them. It was, as you remember, a very hot day. The ground felt quite burning under my feet, and soon I should have been thankful to be carried a little while. I got thirsty, too, and I began to look about for a shady place where I could lie down and rest out of the sun. Presently I came to a narrow turning, which looked dark and cool compared to the bright hot streets. It was quiet, too, for there was only a man in the yard washing a cart, and a rough-coated gray dog sitting near. I made up my mind to try this, and trotting up to the dog made a few remarks about the heat of the weather. From his replies I soon perceived that he was quite a common dog, though very good-natured in manner, and he shortly told me he belonged to the greengrocer and that his name was Bob. We continued to talk, and before long I learnt a good deal about his way of life, which interested me extremely from its great contrast to my own. In spite of its hardships, there was something attractive about it, too, 
though quite out of the question for any one of delicacy and refinement, for Bob was a working dog. He had to be at Convent Garden by daybreak with his master, to go on all his rounds with him, and to take care of the vegetables in the cart when he called at the different houses. "'And what do you get for all that?' I asked. "'I get my food and a good many kicks sometimes,' he answered. "'Poor dog!' I exclaimed, for my heart was filled with pity for him, and no longer thought his an attractive life. "'Why don't you run away?' Bob grinned. "'I'm not so stupid as that,' he replied. "'Dogs that run away come to bad ends. Beside, I'm happy enough. I get a holiday sometimes, and a walk in the park, and on Sunday I can do what I like.' "'Dear me!' I exclaimed languidly. "'What a dreadful life! Now I have nothing to do but please myself every day of the week. And as for the park, I go there so often I am perfectly sick of it.' "'Do you get your Sundays out?' asked Bob. I hesitated. "'This is really my first Sunday out,' I replied at length. "'But I intend in future—' "'What's your name?' rudely interrupted Bob. He certainly had no manners at all. But what could you expect from a dog of low degree? "'My name,' I replied, holding up my head with a slight sniff of disdain, "'is Sarah, Duchess of Marlborough.' I had no time to notice the effect of these words, for they were hardly out of my mouth when I felt myself seized by a large hand, lifted into the air, and thrust into someone's coat-pocket. From this humiliating position I heard the voice of the man washing the cart. "'That your dog?' and somebody answered. "'It belongs to the lady.' "'You may judge, my dear mistress, how frightened I felt. Here was a sudden end to my freedom.' Imprisoned in a strange man's pocket, from which escape was impossible, nearly stifled with the smell of tobacco and filled with dread as to what would happen next. I managed to wriggle my head out of the corner, but saw at once that it would be useless to think of jumping out, the distance from the ground being far too great. I remained still, therefore, and as the man walked out of the yard, had a faint hope that he knew where I lived, and was taking me home. Alas, I was soon disappointed. He turned down a mews, went into a house I had never seen before, up some narrow stairs without any carpet, and entered a room where there sat a large fat man in his shirt-sleeves, smoking and reading a newspaper. I was placed trembling on the table by his side, and he took the pipe out of his mouth and turned his head to look at me. "'Nice little sort of a fancy dog,' he said at last. "'What they call a blenum.' "'Straight into the yard,' said the man who had picked me up. "'I'm going to show it to the missus presently.' "'Worth a tidy sum,' said the fat man, and went on smoking. "'Was ever a dog of my rank and position brought down so low?' No one took any more notice of me, or seemed to think me of any importance. 
and I remained shivering on the table with large tears rolling down my cheeks. Ah, how I repented my folly! I had wanted to see the world, and here it was, a miserable contrast to my happy life at home, where I was fondled and admired by everyone. Ah, foolish, foolish little dog that I had been! I began to think, too, how my dear little mistress would miss me, and how they would search everywhere and call for me in vain. And the more I thought, the more painful it all seemed. A long and wretched time passed in this way, during which the fat man, who was a coachman, I afterwards heard, puffed at his pipe and read his newspaper, sometimes shaking his head and talking to himself a little. He hardly seemed to know I was there, and I believe if the door had been open I could easily have escaped, for the other man had gone out of the room. But there was no chance of that. By and by he came back, took me under his arm, and went out into the street again. Where was he going, I wondered? He had talked of the missus, but if the missus was any friend of his, I had no hope that she would prove agreeable. It was a great surprise, therefore, to find myself a little later in a large house where there were soft carpets and pictures and flowers and everything I had been used to see around me. Not only this, but I was most warmly received by a lady who called me a duck, a darling, a love, and a beauty. These familiar names, which I had been accustomed to hear from my birth, made me feel somewhat at home, and I began to take comfort. At any rate, I was now with people who knew how to behave to me, and would treat me with consideration. I passed the rest of the day, therefore, in peace, though I still sighed for my own mistress, and had no appetite for the new roll and cream offered me. All my fears returned, however, for to my distress I was sent back to sleep at the coachman's house, where I passed the night full of anxiety and the most dismal thoughts. How would all this end? Who can picture my ecstasy of delight the next morning when I heard the sound of your mother's voice talking to the coachman below? I need not tell you how she had succeeded in tracing me through the greengrocer who had seen me picked up in the yard, for that you know already. I cannot help feeling that Bob may have had something to do with my recovery, for I am sure, though rough in his manners, he was a well-meaning dog. If so, I am grateful to him. To end the long story, my dear mistress, I must remark that I have no longer any wish to know more of the world. It is far too rough and noisy a place for me, and you need have no fear, therefore, that I shall try to repeat my experience, or shall ever forget the lesson taught me by my Sunday out. End of Sarah's Sunday Out